Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2013, titled Revival and Reformation. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 12 for September 14 to 20, Reformation, Healing Broken Relationships. Sabbath afternoon, September 14. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as we open your word. Once again, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us. As we open your word, please speak to us and help us in our relationships and in changed lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Let's read that again, Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Even after Pentecost, the relationship between believers was at times strained. The New Testament records repeated examples of the way that church leaders and individual members dealt with such challenges. These principles are extremely valuable for the church today. They reveal the positive results that can come when we use biblical principles to deal with conflicts. In this week's lesson, we will focus on restored relationships. Great spiritual revivals in the past fostered healed relationships. Movements of the Holy Spirit involve bringing people closer to God and to one another. They include breaking down the barriers in our relationship with God and breaking down barriers in our relationships with one another. In short, the greatest demonstration of the power of the gospel is not necessarily what the church says, but how the church lives. John 13.35 By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Without this love, all our talk about revival and reformation will come to naught. Sunday, September 15, From Fracture to Friendship Paul and Barnabas worked together in witnessing for Jesus, but they had some strife between them. We read about that in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 39. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul could not trust one as fearful as John Mark. The potential dangers of preaching the gospel had caused John Mark at one point to desert Paul and Barnabas and return home. 
Ellen White writes in the Acts of the Apostles, page 170, This desertion caused Paul to judge Mark unfavorably, and even severely for a time. Barnabas, on the other hand, was inclined to excuse him because of his inexperience. He felt anxious that Mark should not abandon the ministry, for he saw in him qualifications that would fit him to be a useful worker for Christ. Although God used all these men, the issues between them needed resolution. The apostle who preached grace needed to extend grace to a young preacher who had disappointed him. The apostle of forgiveness needed to forgive. John Mark grew in the affirming mentorship of Barnabas, and eventually Paul's heart was apparently touched by the changes. Question. How do Paul's letters from prison to Timothy and the church at Colossae reveal his renewed relationship with John Mark and a new confidence in this young preacher? First of all, we look at Colossians chapter 4 and verses 10 to to 11. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Although details of Paul's reconciliation with John Mark may be sketchy, the biblical record is clear. John Mark became one of the apostles' trusted companions. Paul highly recommended John Mark as a fellow worker to the church at Colossae. At the end of Paul's life, he strongly encouraged Timothy to bring John Mark with him to Rome because he was useful to me for ministry. Paul's ministry was enriched by the young preacher whom he had obviously forgiven. The barrier between them was broken and they were able to work together in the cause of the gospel. So to finish today, how can we learn to forgive those who have hurt or disappointed us? At the same time, why does forgiveness not always include a complete restoration of a previous relationship? Why does it not always need to be? Monday, September 16, from Slave to Son While he was imprisoned in Rome, Paul met a runaway slave named Onesimus, who had fled from Colossae to Rome. Paul personally knew Onesimus's master. The epistle of Philemon is Paul's personal appeal to his friend regarding a restored relationship with the runaway slave. Relationships mattered to Paul. The Apostle knew that fractured relationships are detrimental to spiritual growth. Philemon was a church leader in Colossae. If he harboured bitterness toward Onesimus, it would colour his Christian witness. Question. Read Philemon, verses 1 to 25. What important principles about restored relationships can we find here? Remember, the key word is principles. 
Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow labourer, to the beloved Apia, Archippus, our friend soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him that that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother." especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive me as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that to my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord, refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow labourers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. At first glance, it is somewhat surprising that Paul did not speak more forcefully against the evils of slavery. But Paul's strategy was far more effective. The gospel ideally breaks down all class distinctions, as in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The apostle sent Onesimus back to Philemon, not as a slave, but as his son in Jesus and Philemon's beloved brother in the Lord, as we read in verse 16. Paul knew that runaway slaves had little future. They could be apprehended at any time. They were doomed to a life of destitution and poverty. But now, as Philemon's brother in Christ and willing worker, Onesimus could have a wonderful future. His food, lodging and job could be made secure under Philemon. The restoration of a broken relationship could make a dramatic difference in his life. He became a faithful and beloved brother and a co-labourer in the gospel with Paul, 
Colossians 4.9 reads, With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who was one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. So to finish today, drawing from the principles of the gospel as seen here, what can you take away that can help you to deal with whatever stresses and strains, even fractures, you have in relationships with others? Tuesday, September 17, from Comparison to Compliment. Question. As we saw in an earlier lesson, the church at Corinth had deep problems. What principles does Paul outline in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 3 to 11, chapter 12, verses 1 to 11, and 2 Corinthians 10, 12 to 15, for healing and restoration? all of which is so vital to revival and reformation. First of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 11. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase." Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labour. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can any one lay than that which is laid, which is... Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through to 11. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministry, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues." But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 to 15. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond measure but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially included you. For we are not 
overextending ourselves, as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labours, but having hope, that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. And chapter 12, verses 18 to 23. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the head, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honourable, on these we bestow great honour, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. In these passages, the Apostle outlines critical principles of church unity. He points out that Jesus uses different workers to accomplish different ministries in his church, even though each one is labouring together for the building up of God's kingdom. God calls us to cooperation, not competition. Each believer is gifted by God to cooperate in ministering to the body of Christ and serving the community. There are no greater or lesser gifts. All are necessary in Christ's church. Our God-given gifts are not for selfish display. They are given by the Holy Spirit for service. All comparisons with others are unwise because they will make us feel either discouraged or arrogant. If we think that others are far superior to us, we will feel despondent when we compare ourselves to them. If we think our labours for Christ are more effective than the work of others, we will feel proud. Both of these attitudes cripple our effectiveness for Christ. As we labour within the sphere of influence that Christ has given us, we will find joy and contentment in our witness for Christ. Our labours will complement the efforts of other members, and the Church of Christ will make giant strides for the Kingdom. So to finish today, can you think of someone whose gifts in ministry have made you jealous? Not too hard, is it? At the same time, how often have you felt proud of your gifts in contrast to those of others? The point is, Paul's concerns are an ever-present reality in fallen beings. Regardless of the side in which we fall, how can we learn the unselfish attitudes that are necessary in order to avoid the pitfalls here? Wednesday, September 18, from Friction to Forgiveness What is forgiveness? Does forgiveness justify the behaviour of someone who has horribly wronged us? Is my forgiveness dependent on the offender's repentance? What if the one with whom I am upset does not deserve my forgiveness? Question How do the following passages help us to understand the biblical nature of forgiveness? First of all, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 11. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. 
For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And Luke chapter 23, verses 31 to 34. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 to 30. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labour, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Christ took the initiative in reconciling us to himself. It is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance, Romans 2.4. In Christ we were reconciled to God while we were yet sinners. Our repentance and confession do not create reconciliation. Christ's death on the cross did. Our part is to accept what was done for us. It is true that we cannot receive the blessings of forgiveness until we confess our sins. This does not mean that our confession creates forgiveness in God's heart. Forgiveness was in his heart all the time. Confession instead enables us to receive it, as we read in 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is vitally important, not because it changes God's attitude toward us, but because it changes our attitude toward him. When we yield to the Holy Spirit's convicting power to repent and confess our sin, we are changed. Forgiveness is also so crucial for our own spiritual well-being. A failure to forgive someone who has wronged us, even if he or she does not deserve forgiveness, can hurt us more than it hurts him or her. If an individual has wronged you and the pain festers inside because you failed to forgive, you are allowing that person to hurt you even more. Forgiveness is releasing another from our condemnation because Christ has released us from his condemnation. It does not justify another's behaviour toward us. We can be reconciled to someone who has wronged us because Christ reconciled us to himself when we wronged him. We can forgive because we are forgiven. 
We can love because we are loved. Forgiveness is a choice. We can choose to forgive in spite of the other person's actions or attitudes. This is the true spirit of Jesus. So to finish today, how can focusing on the forgiveness we have in Christ help us to learn to forgive others? Thursday, September 19, from Rancor to Restoration. Question. Read Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. What three steps does Jesus give us to help us to resolve conflicts when we are wronged by another church member? How are we to apply these words in our contemporary situations? Moreover, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Jesus' desire in giving the Gospel of Matthew 18 is to keep conflict in as small a group as possible. His intent is that the two people involved solve the problem themselves. This is why Jesus declares in verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. As the number of people involved in a conflict between two individuals increases, the more contention is created. People take sides, and the battle lines are drawn. But when Christians attempt to settle their differences privately and in the spirit of Christian love and mutual understanding, a climate of reconciliation is created. The atmosphere is right for the Holy Spirit to work with them as they strive to resolve their differences. There are times when personal appeals for conflict resolution are ineffective. In these instances, Jesus invites us to take one or two others with us. This second step in the reconciliation process must always follow the first step. The purpose is to bring people together, not drive them further apart. The one or two who join the offended party are not coming to prove his or her point or to join in blaming the other individual. They come in Christian love and compassion as counsellors and prayer partners in order to participate in the process of bringing two estranged people together. There are occasions when all attempts to solve the problem do not work. In this case, Jesus instructs us to bring the issue before the church. He is certainly not talking about interrupting the Sabbath morning worship service with an issue of personal conflict. The appropriate place to bring the issue, if the first two steps have not helped to reconcile the two parties, is the church board. Again, Christ's purpose is reconciliation. It is not to blame one party and exonerate the other. As Ellen White writes in Gospel Workers, page 499, Do not suffer resentment to ripen into malice. Do not allow the wound to fester and break out in poisoned words which taint the minds of those who hear. 
Do not allow bitter thoughts to continue to fill your mind and his. Go to your brother, and in humility and sincerity, talk with him about the matter. Friday, September 20. From the book Selected Messages, Book 1, page 175, Ellen White writes, When the labourers have an abiding Christ in their own souls, when all selfishness is dead, when there is no rivalry, no strife for the supremacy, when oneness exists, when they sanctify themselves so that love for one another is seen and felt, then the showers of the grace of the Holy Spirit will just as surely come upon them as that God's promise will never fail in one jot or tittle. And again from the same writer, Last Day Events, page 190. If we stand in the great day of the Lord with Christ as our refuge, our high tower, we must put away all envy, all strife for the supremacy. We must utterly destroy the roots of those unholy things that they may not again spring up into life. We must place ourselves wholly on the side of the Lord. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. Read again Colossians chapter 3, verses 12-17 to 17 in class. Discuss the Christian qualities that the Apostle Paul encourages the church at Colossae to seek. Why are these qualities the basis for all conflict resolution? How do they guide us in carrying out the principle that Jesus gives us in Matthew 18, verses 15-18? to 18? 2. Look again at Colossians 3.12-17 and the teachings found in these verses. Why are these things so utterly essential for the revival and reformation that we so desperately need in the church? 3. If we look at our church, that is the Seventh-day Adventist church as a whole, what is the greatest thing holding us back from the kind of revival and reformation that will be needed in order to reach the world? Is it our teachings and doctrines? Of course not. These are the very things that God has given us to proclaim to the world. The problem lies solely in us, in our interpersonal relationships, our petty jealousies, our bickering, our selfishness, our desire for supremacy, and a whole host of other things. Why must you, yes you, not the person next to you in the pew, not the pastor, but you, yourself, plead for the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the changes that have to occur in you before we will see revival and reformation in the whole church. Inside Story The Power of Faith I come from an influential family in central India and grew up worshipping stone gods. My parents wanted the best education for me, so they enrolled me in a Seventh-day Adventist secondary school. We didn't know what Adventist meant then. I liked the school and made friends quickly. One friend, Amith, invited me to his home on Saturday. I was surprised that he and his family weren't watching television, but instead were talking about something called the Sabbath. Sabbath. 
When I asked Ameth what the Sabbath was, he invited me to church the next Saturday. I was curious, so I went. Inside the church, I recognized some people I knew from school. To my surprise, the sermon was on the Sabbath. The pastor read Bible texts and explained why the Sabbath was so special. I didn't know Christ, but by the time we left church, I understood the Sabbath. I attended church with Amoth every week. I loved the worship service, and the hymns brought me peace. The Bible lessons were simple but profound. Christianity was so different from my family's religion. I often joined a classmate for her family's worship. They explained different Bible texts, and I began reading the Bible for myself. The creation story was so different from what I had been taught. I knew I had to follow God, but not my family's gods. I told my parents that I had decided to follow Jesus and would no longer worship the gods I had once worshipped. But they didn't give up. One day they asked me to go with them on a religious pilgrimage to carry their luggage, they said. But when I realized that they wanted me to take part in the temple rituals, I knew I couldn't do it. I didn't want to argue with them, so I left the train at the next station and returned home. When my parents returned, they asked me why I had left them. I explained that God forbids worship of other gods. We sat for five hours as I explained what I could about God, creation, Jesus' life and death, and his second coming. Finally, my parents nodded. They didn't understand my new faith, but they let me follow my convictions. I thank God for leading me to the Seventh-day Adventist High School. It changed my life. I now teach young people, knowing that they can share their faith with their families. It's my way of giving back. Our mission offerings help to build strong Seventh-day Adventist schools around the world, where thousands of young people find Christ every year. Thank you for supporting missions. This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.